Hello and welcome to our very first episode of Yas Queens, a podcast dealing with women in history and the men that they had to put up with. Uh, my name is Emily and I will be our hostess with the mostess. Um, so a little bit about the idea for this podcast, since it is the very first episode, um, there are plenty of history podcasts out there that focus on women in history, specifically queens in history as well. Um, but typically these history podcasts tend to kind of bounce around. Um, the hosts pick, you know, women that interest them. Um, what I wanted to achieve with this podcast is to work through the queens of a specific country in chronological order. Um, and thought process behind that is because these stories are connected, whichever queen comes in next is going to have to deal with relationships with her husband, her mother-in-law, her father-in-law, if they are still alive. Um, so they all fit together. And I think it's really important to understand what the previous generation dealt with, because that's obviously going to continue to impact the current generation. Um, this will be more of a social history podcast. We are not going to get into the nitty gritty of specific battles or anything like that. This is going to be a story about relationships, um, romantic, friendly, familial, and how that impacted the lives of the women that we are going to be talking about. All right, so let's with that, let's get into our very first episode. Um, so for this season, again, I might break this up into more than one season. We're, we're figuring this out as we go. Um, but to start off with, we are going to be focusing on the Queens of England. Um, this is the topic I know the best. It's also one where there is the most easily accessible research out there. Um, and of course, easily accessible research that is written in English, the language that I read and speak. So we will be starting with England. We are starting in the age of William the Conqueror with our very first queen, Matilda of Flanders. All right, if you hear my dog barking in the background, ignore him, I'm trying to get this to stop. Again, working through technical difficulties of our very first episode. All right, so Matilda of Flanders. Now, one thing to note as we go through these first few episodes, possibly even the first 10 or so, there is not a ton of information written about these women from the time period when they lived. Um, unfortunately, but also unsurprisingly, they weren't considered to be as important. A lot of them, you know, contemporaries will just say, yes, she was very pretty and generic things like that. This is the queen. They're supposed to say nice things about her. You know, she's, you know, the king's wife. She is supposedly chosen by God, whatnot. So we're going to say nice things, but they're going to be super generic. Um, also a lot of conflicting stories and of course ones that are a little bit more dramatic are likely the ones that endured through time. Um, so we see that a lot with our girl Matilda of Flanders here, especially when we get into her courtship with her future husband, William the Conqueror, that we have a lot of stories where, uh, well, it's debatable how uh, you know realistic they were, but uh, they made for a good story. So they lasted through history. All right, so to begin our story, it's for one thing, a little bit unclear about when Matilda of Flanders was born. Um, at earliest, it could have been around the end of 1031, um, but overall debatable when exactly she was born. Um, at the time period, the Flanders into which she was born was a pretty 
turbulent, unruly place. Um, a lot of death going on at the time period. Um, however, trade and commerce were expanding. Um, so Flanders was seen as being pretty prosperous during the reign of Matilda's father, Baldwin V. Uh, Flanders was enjoying increasing wealth. So this made Flanders look pretty appealing, especially for someone like William the Conqueror, who was a brand new monarch. He's still, you know, establishing his kingdom. So having an alliance with a wealthy country through marriage is going to be a great move for him. Um, Matilda came from a family where her parents had a pretty good relationship. Um, you know, of course, women were considered to be far inferior at the time period. However, the relationship between her mom, Adela, and her father, Baldwin, um, was you know, a little bit more of a marriage of equals that her mother was given a little bit more control and power over her own life. One thing to note for Matilda's childhood before we dive into some background on her future husband, William the Conqueror, and their courtship and early marriage. Um, before William walked onto the scene, Matilda had a previous love interest who will come back to haunt us later on in this episode. So worth noting, um, Matilda was interested in a, the source I read said count, but then in parentheses Earl. So I assume at the time it was a count, but later on his title would have been that of an Earl. Unclear. Um, but his name was Breitrick Mew. Mew. Um, and he was wildly wealthy, a bit older than her, though. Um, and Matilda was not shy about this. So without her father's approval, which, again, of course, you would need, didn't talk to her dad about this. She sent a messenger to England to send a note to our boy Breitrick here saying she wanted to marry him. Um, he smartly refused this offer, uh, probably because Hopefully he realized her dad was not involved and this would not end well if he said yes without getting her dad's approval. Um, but yes, yeah, so he rejected her. She was obviously very mad about this. Um, she, you know, put herself out on the line by saying she wanted to marry him and also risking her relationship with her parents, who obviously would not have been very happy that she uh, made this marriage offer without consulting with them. Um, so she put a lot out on the line and was not happy when he rejected her. And she's going to hang on to this. Matilda can hold a grudge. So Breitrick is going to show up later on in her life. Remember this. She had the hots for him. She asked him to marry her and he said no. And she is going to be a woman scorned. So diving into William now, William the Conqueror, her husband. Well, Matilda had a pretty decent childhood. Again, parents had a relatively successful, happy marriage. Um, William came from a very dramatic and violent childhood. Uh, so he was sort of raised by five guardians. Um, of those five, one was murdered while out riding. Another one was poisoned. Two others, including his tutor, assassinated after being violently attacked in his own bedchamber. So, you know, great childhood, really happy, very stable. Um, 
And we'll see a lot of the things that William had to deal with his problems when he was establishing his reign are going to kind of continue on into his life. Either, you know, he is going to make decisions very carefully because of issues people had with him when he was younger with his background, um, or he's going to, you know, just make sure he does the opposite of um, how people did things previously, things like that. So we'll we'll get into that a little bit more later. Um, But for one thing, William was considered to be a bastard. His parents were not married in the eyes of the church when he was born. Um, So unlike a lot of the kings we're going to talk about throughout this podcast, William never, as far as we knew, took a mistress. He did not want there to be any doubt about the legitimacy of his children. He didn't want his children to have to deal with carrying around that bastard title like he had, which he struggled with throughout his life. Um, So he was completely, as far as we know, faithful to Matilda. So he had a lot of other issues, but props to him for that. Because again, there's not going to be very many kings in this podcast, especially in these early days um, that we can say the same about that they were faithful to their wife. Um, William was also known for being quite tall for the time period. At that time, average male height was around five foot five, and William was five foot ten. So he was a physically intimidating figure. Um, you can kind of see, you know, why people would defer to him as a leader, just based on appearances. Even we've got this very tall guy; it's easy to kind of, you know, fake it till you make it when you are five feet tall, or not five feet. Oh my gosh, five inches taller than most other men of your time period. On the other hand, Matilda was most likely tiny. Um, Again, you know, it's been a while. People weren't saying that much about it in records. Um, But based on study of what is believed to be her remains, um, supposedly her skeleton was about four foot two inches high. Of course, I'm not sure if those were actually her bones. Um, Again, it was, you know, of course, in tombs and church. We've got a lot of churches in English history getting destroyed and things like that, things being mislabeled. So it may or may not be Matilda, but if it was four foot two versus William's five foot ten, which is a hilarious mental picture. All right, so that is a little bit of background on William here. So let's get into their dramatic courtship. All right, so the time has come. Matilda's father, Count Baldwin of Flanders, is starting to look for a prospective suitor for his daughter. He realizes that he has a fairly advantageous position. Again, Flanders is doing well economically, um, so Matilda is a pretty good catch for any man. Um, Now, at this time period, William the Conqueror was in charge of Normandy. England's going to come a little bit later on. Um, and Normandy was useful as an ally to Duke Will. And Normandy was useful to Count Baldwin, vice versa. Flanders is going to be advantageous to William because of, again, that financial success. Um, however issue here between these two was that Matilda, of course, you know, for one thing, William is considered to be a bastard. Matilda is the lawful daughter of her parents. So she was regarded as being of greater birth and ancestry as William. Matilda does not like this. 
when she found out that William at that time, Duke William of Normandy, was interested and had proposed to her, she allegedly, this is one story, though, that is most common. Um, so I think that there is some legitimacy of this compared to some of the others that we hear. So she angrily declared that she would never marry a bastard. Um then the story gets a little bit more questionable. We have versions where William goes to her, forces himself into her bedroom and beats her. Other stories where he drags her from her horse, um, throws her in the mud. None of these are very uh, positive stories for William. Um, however, the takeaway from this is that ultimately Matilda changes her mind. Um, accounts differ on what exactly William did but regardless um, ultimately she is somehow impressed by this show of frustration and anger I don't know you know maybe because she also had her proposal rejected she understands what it's like to be angry and she didn't you know go and throw Breetrick into the mud or anything but I don't allegedly she liked this um Supposedly, she said, because I did not know the Duke as well as I do now, for he must be a man of great courage and high daring, who could venture to come and beat me in my own father's palace. Yes, uh, very impressive, very brave, how daring. Um, so, little, little strange on the reasoning there, but the takeaway is Matilda is impressed by William's acts of violence when she rejects him. We've got a little bit of a hiccup next um, due to the Pope. He's not in favor of this marriage. It's a little unclear exactly why. Um, I think at one point they claim consanguinity. Oh gosh. I, okay. Consanguinity. Gwinity. I need to figure out how exactly to say this, but basically um, that they were too closely related. However, that didn't seem to be the case. And also, you know, there are plenty of other people that were more closely related getting married at that time period. It seemed like it was a little bit more that the Pope just felt that they it would be it would be too much of a power match and that there was some reason why politically this was not um advantageous for the pope he didn't like this idea um but regardless they don't care they still go ahead and get married um matilda was maybe at most 19 when they got married which honestly could have been worse um as we'll see with the next couple generations um as we get into some of our Isabels and things like that, we're starting to see some barely teenage marriages happening. Happening. So 19, you know, that is legally an adult today. Could be worse. Um, so she was 19. Some sources say maybe 20. Um, and at that time period, William would have been around 23. So not a bad age difference either. They're fairly close in age. You know, again, Considering all of the other matches that we'll see over the course of history, I would say three to four years is not too bad. Um, little, you know, strange to think about like today, a 19 year old and a 23 year old dating. I feel like those are two people at a different point in their lives. But for, you know, the scope of history and our podcast, not that bad of an age difference. They're both adults. It's not like we have a 16 year old and a 35 year old. I will take that three to four years again, could be a lot worse. So they're fairly close in age. 
Uh, she respects his acts of violence and intimidation. And now they are married. Um, and this is pretty exciting for the Normans. The Normans had not had a duchess since Duke Richard II's reign from 996 to 1026. Um, don't need to know much more about Duke Richard. That's just a takeaway. So um, Matilda and William probably got married around 1050. So it had been 24, 25 years since they'd last had a duchess. Um after that duke, his sons that were the duke before William, um, both just had mistresses. So they were excited. They liked the idea of having a duchess. So that was exciting. And William and Matilda, for the most part, had a pretty happy marriage. Things will get a little bit more dramatic later on once their kids start reaching adulthood. And we're going to start seeing some drama with um sons competing with each other but at least for most of their marriage it was pretty happy um it was you know advantageous to both of them it was a good match politically um even though matilda initially complained about william being a bastard you know i think that they did see each other as being fairly equal and that it was a mutually beneficial marriage um and you know there's also the perk that william was actually a faithful husband so that usually helps your marriage if you're not mad at your husband for cheating on you repeatedly um william also respected matilda and her opinions um he gave her a lot of authority she frequently served as um Oh gosh, I'm forgetting her word here. She frequently took over when he would go um, to other parts of his kingdom. And we talked before about how there weren't a ton of depictions, specific depictions of women from this time period. Um, so great example of this, the Bayou Tapestry, which is a famous tapestry um, from this general time period, has 600 men on it and only three women. So one of the most famous art pieces from the time period, we've got 603 people on it and three of them are women. Um, one thing we definitely need to give some props to for Matilda was she was a boss when it came to childbirth. Of course, this was probably one of the most dangerous things for a woman at this time period. Um, they did not have a great track record and Matilda had a ton of pregnancies and successful pregnancies too, that her kids for the most part did live to adulthood, which was, you know, not very common at that time. And even as we continue on into the more modern era, we still see, you know, 1500s, a lot of children dying as infants. Um, so just some stats, just because I thought this was pretty significant. Um, so of the 93 royal children born to 15 of England's 20 medieval queens, 27 of them died in childhood. So nearly 30%. So the average amongst all the royal children during the medieval period, 30% um, of them are going to die in childhood. It was also rare for a woman to experience a successful pregnancy beyond the age of 30, which is wild. I am 29 right now as of recording this um, and fully expect that if I get pregnant in the next couple of years, no reason to think that I will not be successful based on my age. Um, but of course, by the time that a woman in the medieval era reached 30, they had already been through 10 plus years of childbearing. So their bodies were pretty worn down by that point. That was the case with Matilda. Again, they got married when she was around 19 or 20 at most. Um, 
but she was able to continue having pregnancies. Um, their children, a little bit debatable. The last few, um, some sources mention them, some don't. But for sure, we have Robert. Um, oh gosh, I believe this order is in boys and then girls, not necessarily in full chronological order. Um, so we've got Robert, Richard, William, a.k.a. Rufus, Constance, Adela, Matilda, Adeliza slash Adelaide, depending on what source you're looking at. Um, and then maybe a Cecilia and maybe an Agatha. So I do like that we have some different names on this list. We do have a lot of repetition during this time period. Um, Adela was the name of Matilda's mom. Now she's got a daughter named Adela. Uh, her daughter's named Matilda. There's everyone's named Matilda at this time period. Um, but Adeliza slash Adelaide getting a little bit more unique um i like cecilia and agatha so hopefully there were some kids with those names um so again this was an age of high infant mortality but there is no record of any of matilda's children um of which there were what is that four five six seven possibly nine possibly nine between seven and nine children um no record of any of them dying at birth or in infancy um, so that seems, you know, pretty noteworthy. Um, the caveat for that is that maybe it just didn't get recorded. Um, but I would think usually they were pretty good about recording royal births and deaths. So you think that if there had been a baby that was born and died, it would have been mentioned, especially since Matilda did have such a good track record. You think if there was one that didn't make it, they would have mentioned that. Um, babies were coming out pretty rapidly. So we had, again, between seven and nine, um, the, between the birth of Robert around 1053 and that of William Rufus in 1060, um, the gap was usually only one or two years. So Matilda spent a lot of time pregnant. Kids were all pretty close together in age. Um, so we've got a big family and again, a pretty happy family and marriage. Um, Matilda would preside with William over his courts when he was signing charters, she would be there to witness. Um, they, you know, were married because it was advantageous politically and financially, but it does seem like they did end up actually, you know, coming to love each other, that it did end up being a bit of a love match and not just, you know, that they were married because they had to be, um, they had a good partnership for quite a while. The late 1050s and early 1060s were one of the most stable periods of their marriage. Um, and yeah, they were a bit of a power couple. Um, again, William came to trust her and rely on her. He wanted her opinions. Um, she had quite a bit of influence over him because, again, he respected her opinions and trusted that he could rely on her um, for helping him rule, that she wasn't just there to pop out babies and, you know, be a figurehead, that they were actually partners. So that's, you know, that's always nice to see, especially for this being the 1050s and 1060s. Um, so Matilda did have a pretty successful and lengthy career politically, again, because she was given the authority to make these decisions, um, which we won't always see um, as we go on in the next generation or two. We will see um, women that are just kind of, they're just kind of there. 
So Matilda was very active politically um, in England and in Normandy. Matilda heard pleas with William and gave judgment jointly. So you can imagine, you know, we've got the courtroom, we've got the peasants coming and making their claim, asking for things. They would have both been there and both been giving their opinions. Um, Matilda also at times was authorized to hear lawsuits over land disputes in William's place. So yeah, if there were things he didn't want to do politically, uh, the busy work and stuff like that, he was fine handing it off to her. Um, Culturally, she really helped out the English court. Um, She brought in Flemish artisans and encouraged them to teach their crafts and trades to the English. She had broad cultural interests. Uh, Flanders was considered at the time to be one of the most cosmopolitan ports cosmopolitan courts in medieval Europe. Um, And she brought in things um, from that pertaining to etiquette and ceremony to the Norman and then English court. Um, She also was interested in intellectual pursuits. So she also helped literature flourish, which is interesting because she most likely was not taught how to read or not how to read, how to write herself. Um, at this time period, women typically didn't learn how to write, but you would have a scribe type person. So you would just, you know, tell them what you wanted to have written and they would write it down for you. While she was, um, you know, interested in intellectual pursuits, relatively well-educated for a woman of her time period, um, you know, made good political decisions. Matilda was also known to be superstitious, which I think is fun. Um, She would sometimes get the advice of mystics or magicians. So that is fun, especially because you would think that that would be frowned down upon. It's always interesting the role of magic throughout history. Um, of there's both this interest in it, but also, you know, if you're a witch, you, you get killed. So, uh, I guess she, you know, played it off. Well, no one was like, ah, she's a witch. Um, so yeah, she sought the advice of mystics and magicians. Um, she is recorded to have once consulted the bones of a sheep shoulder in the hope of foretelling the future, which I guess was a common thing in Flanders. So, you know, Flanders was cool with this. They were not thinking people were witches if you were consulting sheep shoulder bones. So um, that's fun. On the downside, after having that fun note, um, Slavery had been common in England since before the Romans came, continued to be common when William took over. Um, Under the Normans, the custom was gradually abolished, but that took time. Um, Records from the time period said that nearly a quarter of those who inhabited the Queen's manors in Devon were slaves. Um, And there most likely, of course, would have been more slaves belonging to Matilda elsewhere. That was just for her manners in Devon specifically. Normandy was the main focus of Matilda's activities politically for the rest of her life. Um, She was interested in the newly acquired English lands once William took over there as well. However, she spent most of her time in Normandy. Um, She only visited England five times in her life. Um, She spent fewer than four years in that part of her husband's kingdom. The rest of it, she was largely based in... um, Rouen, the capital of Normandy. So um, that worked out well, though, for William. Matilda was able to focus on Normandy. He trusted her. He could leave Normandy in her hands and then go and spend time in England. Um, So though they were often apart, they worked well together for the general benefit of their realms. Um, And again, William trusted her. 
and this worked well for him. Um, of course, you know, balancing these two different areas, Normandy and England, he needed to make sure that Normandy was left in the hands of someone he could trust um, that, you know, wouldn't take over as soon as he left for England. Um, and so his wife was perfect for that. You know, obviously it was not going to be advantageous to her to take over. Um, you know, she was trying to protect these lands for her husband and then for her sons who would inherit them eventually as well. Um, so, you know, they both wanted Normandy to be successful. William knew that he could trust Matilda to be taking care of Normandy in his absence. It took some time for William to, you know, kind of finalize the reaches of his kingdom. Um, he was king in England at the time. However, you know, there was still resistance. Um, by 1072, William had laid waste to the north. Um, again, some more of that bits of extreme violence. Um, subdued other parts of the kingdom that were resisting his rule. And the Norman conquest was considered to be complete. So 1072. Norman French was now established as the official language of the court and would remain so until the 4th century. Um, a downside, women had even more cause for complaint as culture in Normandy and England shifted. Um, rape became more commonplace. Matilda did prove herself to have a good track record. Um, she successfully ruled Normandy. It wasn't just that she did an okay job, but she, you know, Normandy did well in her, in, under her control. Um, Throughout her initial two-year tenure in place, um, there was no erosion of power, no loss of territories to foreign magnates, um, and it was actually a more stable period than Normandy had had for many years. So she was doing a great job. All right. I promised we would come back to Breitrick, um, the Saxon lord that had rejected Matilda's proposal when she was a teenager. He comes back into this story um, during this, this period of, you know, marriage. The kids are growing up. We're completing the Norman Conquest. Um, so around 20 years or so after he had rejected her, um, he comes back onto the scene. And 20 years later, Matilda is not any less pissed at him than she was when he rejected her. So during the first year of her husband's reign in England, um, she demanded possession of the manor of Tewkesbury, which had been held by Breitrick since before the conquest. Um, he was then taken to Winchester. So not only did she demand his manor, but he gets taken to Winchester, thrown into prison. They don't give him any cause for this. And then he is stuck in prison for two years and then dies in quote unquote, mysterious circumstances. So love that for her. Uh, 20 years later, sees the guy who turned down your proposal's manner, lock him up, maybe poison him, unclear. But regardless, he dies in prison. Uh, so the wait was worth it. Hopefully, Friedrich came back and Matilda shows that uh, she knows how to hold a grudge. By the early 1070s, Matilda had carved out a more dynamic and visible role for herself in the public affairs of her English kingdom than any of the queen consorts who had gone before her. Um, 
the constant chewing and froing between England and Normandy, as well as the considerable travel that she undertook within each domain, might have ex- might be expected to have taken its toll on the queen, who was by now in her early 40s and the mother of at least nine children. Um, but there's no record of her ever failing in her duties on account of sickness. And she seemed to just, you know, thrive. She enjoyed having this power. She enjoyed what she was doing. So it didn't wear her down. She just wanted to keep on doing her thing. Um, While she was seen as more diplomatic and benevolent than her fearsome husband, kind of a nice counterpoint of, you know, she's the good cop, he's the bad cop. um, Her power and influence earned her reputation as a formidable woman. Of course, if you heard of the story about Breitrich, you'd probably be like, ooh, I'm not messing with her. Um. So Matilda became something of a powerful royal in her own right. She wasn't just powerful because of her husband. She was powerful because she had, she was successful, that she had a husband who trusted her, that gave her power, and that she managed it well. Um, She, of course, had the king's ear and was also um, established her own enormous independent wealth, so. She had money of her own. She didn't need to be asking her husband for money. One fun thing to note. So William relied on interpreters um, when people were around who spoke English. He never really mastered it himself. Um, But Matilda did, possibly because of her growing up in the Flemish court. That was a more, you know, cosmopolitan court focused a little bit more possibly on the importance of learning languages. Um, So she did make the effort to learn how to speak English and not just speak it, master it. Uh, So the English people did like that about her, you know they appreciated that she made that effort it showed that she respected them that she wanted to be able to communicate with them and not have to rely on these interpreters um and it made her feel you know and seem more like one of them that she was able to speak their language even though she spent not that much time in england itself she was again normally in normandy but when she was in england she was able to communicate with the people so that's always that's always a good move queens if you are a foreign queen make sure you learn the language of the people who you will be the queen of they like that all right so 1070s are coming to an end matilda is finally done with all of the childbirth um you know she's reached that point she's had all of her kids now she's able to kind of transition a little bit more um And we're going to see some drama develop between her and William. All right. So before we get into the drama, which does relate to her children, I'll talk a little bit first about Matilda as a mother. To start with, um, so Matilda really saw importance in um, the education level of her daughters, She did not think that learning should be confined to men. She had had a good education herself growing up. Um, So all of her daughters were remarkable for their level of education. She really focused on making sure that they received just as good of an education as her sons, you know, maybe even a little bit better. Um, One of her and William's daughters was um, given, dedicated, I don't know, volunteered to a nunnery. I don't know the proper terminology for this, um, but they, you know, sent her and she became a nun um and noteworthy they did this around the time when william was um 
working on the conquest of England. So the idea was kind of that they were trying to, you know, strike a deal with God. Here's my daughter. Now give us England in return. Um, so you can see how, you know, daughters were used as political tools or even religious tools, I guess. Um, this, you know, likely would have been difficult for Matilda to send her daughter to this nunnery and say goodbye to her. Um, based on the fact that she spent so much time and effort on her daughter's education, it gave, you know, we suggest that she was a involved, caring mother. Um, so it would have been, you know, hard for her sending her daughter to the nunnery later when her daughters leave the home to go and get married. Um, would have been difficult for her. It's interesting to note that none of the sons end up getting married during her lifetime. Um, William Rufus never gets married. Um, her other sons don't get married until after Matilda has died. So while the daughters do get married off and things, um, the sons, she's not really, you know, involved in finding them wives during her lifetime. A little bit of info on some of the kids. Um, so William Rufus, we said before, never married. It is speculated that he was gay and that that was part of the reason why he never married. Although, let's be real, there were plenty of gay men throughout history, especially in various royal families, who did still get married. Because obviously, the best way to convince people you are not gay is to get married and have children. Um, William Rufus, if that was the case, was not going to try and pull that move, I guess. Um, he was known as also as being the least likable of all the ducal children. Um, so maybe it wasn't that he was gay, just that no woman actually wanted to marry him or no one wanted to force a poor woman to have to be married to him. Who knows? Um, he ended up becoming known for his cruel, calculating nature. Robert was Matilda's favorite. However, while Robert was the oldest and the heir, William was kind of hesitant to give Robert more authority and training as his heir. Um, so this is where we are going to see some drama develop between Matilda and William. The two had very different relationships with Robert. So Matilda doted upon him from the moment of his birth. Um, you know, he was the heir. She knew he was going to be successful, wanted him to have everything that he could, um, ignored his flaws, just, you know, said all the nice things about Robert. Whereas on the other hand, William was very aware of all of Robert's flaws. The two, you know, did not have as good of a relationship as Matilda did with Robert. And ultimately, a few kind of strikes up between them. Robert is wanting to be given a little bit more authority, you know, have the training wheels taken off, getting to start to do things that he'll do one day when William dies. Um, William is a bit more hesitant about this. So a few develops. Matilda is, you know, obviously bothered by this. She cares about both her husband and her son, especially her favorite son. Um, so this is hard for her to sit back and watch around the time that their feud is escalating as well. Um, her mother dies. So, you know, it's just all around a bad time for her. However, in late summer of 1080, William does take Robert to England for the first time. Um, Matilda comes along as well. It's one of the five times that she comes to England. That autumn, the king also gave Robert a army to lead, um, which went to Scotland. So he is giving him some things, at least. Maybe we're seeing Matilda's influence there. 
But as Robert is kind of trying to act up, maybe rebel a little bit, um, Matilda does send Robert money and things of value to kind of financially support this, um, which of course does not go over well with William. He ultimately publicly berates her for doing this, um, you know, has to has to publicly shame her for supporting their son when he's acting up um, and kind of rebelling against his father, who again is the king. Um Robert ends up getting exiled for a period, but Matilda definitely was in contact with him during this. Um, there's evidence that suggests that she was exchanging secret messages with him through trusted servants. So, you know, nothing's nothing's going to stop her from supporting her son. If, uh, Although if she did per- try to persuade him against an invasion, there is no record of it. Instead, she took a step that would shock everyone and end up tearing her family apart a bit. Um, She sent him money to fund this invasion. This was ultimately not successful, um, but would kind of damage, it would damage her and William's relationship for the rest of her life. So on the surface, after... um, Robert's attempt at an invasion failed. Um, they, you know, resumed publicly being cordial and nice to each other, but their relationship never really fully came back from it. Um, previously, previously William, you know, throughout over the years, um, on multiple occasions, gave Matilda the power of regency, allowed her to be regent over Normandy. Um, but after this, he would never again trust her to enjoy the full powers of regency. So most of their marriage, he placed a lot of trust and faith in her. This ruined that. And after this, um, she was no longer given that full trust and power. Although William does not appear to have held Matilda's support for Robert against her, while, you know, this did wreck their relationship he didn't fully trust her he he did understand i think um at the end of the day she was being loyal to her son um which was seen as a positive trait even if that loyalty to her son meant not being loyal to her husband so it's kind of mixed that he was like well you're being a good mom and supporting your son who is my heir but could you do it without you know pissing me off and undermining my my authority here (laughs) Toward the end of 1080, William set sail for England. This is his first time going in four years. Um, He had been in Normandy for a decent stretch there. Um, And we can see how his feelings towards Matilda have changed because he doesn't give her the regency, as we said before. She doesn't get full power of regency again after supporting Robert. Um, So not only does he not give her regency, but he also brings her and Robert with him. All right, so that's kind of the beginning of the end for Matilda. Um, her health starts to seriously deteriorate after that last meeting, after a last meeting with her husband and son um, at Cayenne in July 1083. And she ends up staying in that city and not leaving it again in the course of her life. Um, although, Supposedly all the Norman queens died of natural causes, but it is impossible to be specific as to what exactly killed them. Um, Matilda was 52 at most, um, which is, you know, 
today we'd be like, well, that's not that old. But for the time period, um, that was a pretty good age. The average life expectancy at that time period was around 35. Um, men were considered to be old at 50. And of course, many women died young in childbed. Um, the fact that she made it to 30 after having that many kids was considered to be noteworthy. So 52, 52 is pretty good. While they had had their issues in recent years, um, ultimately William, you know, had deeply loved his wife. They had been a great pair. He had relied on her throughout their marriage. Um, they had been married at that point for around 33 years too. So most of his life at that point, um, since he was what, 23, 24 when they got married. So he had been married to her longer than he had been alive and not married to her at that point. Um, so he took this really hard, even though they'd had their issues at the end of the day, she had been his partner, um, for most of their marriage. He had, you know, trusted her and relied on her. Um, another thing, you know, while she was alive, he, he, most likely had never cheated on her, had never had a mistress. After she died, um, he didn't take a second wife. You know, he could have. Um, some people might have expected him to, although he did have plenty of heirs, so he didn't really need to. But um, yeah, he never, he didn't end up remarrying. Um, so this was very tough for William. Um, it said that he fell into a profound depression from which he never fully recovered. Um, and according to one historian, mourned her until the day of his death, which is nice to see that he was so deeply affected by this it shows that they did come to love each other. Um, so even though, you know, she had had her objections at the beginning, they had had their feud over their son. At the end of the day, their marriage was considered definitely to be a success, um, both, you know, emotionally and practically, that they did come to love each other, that they did have such a close relationship. She meant so much to him, but also um, that they made a great political pair. They were a power couple. Um, and without her, William started not being as great of a ruler um, without having Matilda around to, you know, consult with. He started becoming more reckless um, and undoing some of the work that Matilda had urged him to in order to foster better relations between the Normans and Saxons. So, um, you know, she had been an important part of his rule and without her, things kind of went downhill a bit. All right, so that was the life of Matilda of Flanders, our first queen, and the end of episode one. Um, I thank you for sitting through and listening, uh, putting up with you know the growing pains of this being the first episode. I already thank you of things that I will work on episode two to get this a little bit more dialed in. Um, but I hope you continue to listen and enjoy learning about the queens that we will continue to be talking about. Um, for our next episode, next episode, we have two queens we'll be talking about because um, our next king, Henry I, did have two wives. One of them he was married to for much longer than the other. Um, and the second wife also um, didn't give him any kids. So I'm going to be combining them because 
quite honestly, there just isn't enough about um, his second wife, Adeliza, to justify giving her her own episode. So next week we will have a two-parter or not two-parter, we'll have a, a, a two-queener, um, Matilda of Scotland and Adeliza of, oh gosh, I didn't, what I'm looking at right now, I did not write her title, um, but I want to say it was Louvain. Um, so we will have Matilda of Scotland, Adeliza next week, next episode. Um, and then episode three, we will get into talking about the Matildas. I think we might need a two-parter for the Matildas just because there is so much. And of course, there are two Matildas. While they are going to share this episode because they were rivals, it makes sense. Um, I think we might have enough for two, for two episodes, but we will see. All right. Well, thank you for listening. And I hope you are back for our next episode.